university a couple of decades ago, and I lived for one year uh, on Castle Street, which is a pretty notorious street for, for parties. And in fact, actually, last month I saw my old flat in the news. Uh, it was St. Patrick's Day, and my old flat was hosting about a thousand people uh, in the midst of, um, you know, whatever restrictions they were supposed to be doing. But I, at the time, I was too poor to party hard. Uh, I had no car, <clears throat> and so my world was pretty much limited to how far I could bike or how far I could skateboard. And um, on one particular day, I was running late for work, and my flatmate was at the library, and I thought I could possibly just borrow his car to help get me to work so I wouldn't be late. So I raced into his room, grabbed the keys, and jumped into his car and drove probably about 100 metres down the street, and when I got 100 metres down the street, the car just started jerking and, and jolting, and then it just stopped dead in the middle of Castle Street. And I had no idea what was happening. Uh, I checked the dash, and it seemed like the engine was okay, it seemed like the temperature was okay, there was no lights on, and then I noticed that the lights on the petrol gauge was past E. Past E, like the light was on and it was off the E. And I realised that the car had run out of gas. The tank was totally empty. Now you think about it for a minute. How much petrol is in a tank where you can only drive 100 metres, like here to Centennial Ave? That is, that is not a particularly far distance, probably like a teaspoon worth of petrol in the car. And, and it's pretty embarrassing to run out of petrol at any time, but it's really embarrassing to run out of petrol when you, were, when you were a sophisticated and cool student like I clearly was. And so, obviously I had to fix the problem that I'd um, <clears throat> got myself in. So I had to push the car to the side of the road and, and the neighbours were sort of giving me awkward looks down Castle Street. Then I had to walk around the corner to the petrol station where I was going to ask the petrol guy if I could borrow a can and I could go back and fill up the car. And the petrol station worker had, had clearly worked with dodgy students before because he refused to give me a can to borrow. And I begged with him, I said it was only just around the corner, I offered him all my worldly possessions, my cell phone and my wallet, which was pretty much all I had as collateral, and uh, he just flat out refused. So I had to walk back to the car, push the car back 100 metres down Castle Street back to the flat. And by this stage, the neighbours were not just giving me awkward looks, they were spectating. So they had their couches out on the footpath, they had the drinks on, the chips, they were sort of cheering me. It was the longest and slowest 100 metres of my life. I think they were probably placing bets on how long it would take me to get back to the flat. But as it turned out, I did get back to the flat and I did eventually get to work where I was very late for work and I got in trouble with my boss. And then I got in trouble with my flatmate when he came home because I had to confess not only had I borrowed his car, but his car was parked in the driveway completely empty. There was no petrol in the tank of his car, which was not a particularly good situation for him. But usually when we come across something that is empty, it's 
pretty bad. Maybe you've not had the embarrassment of running out of petrol, of having an empty tank, but perhaps you've found out just how bad it is when you reach into the fridge and you pull out the tub of butter, you open it up, and it's empty. Who put an empty tub back into the fridge? I don't know, maybe you dive into the tissue box and you find that that too is empty. Or you're in the bathroom and you grab the toothpaste tube and that is also empty. Three things which commonly happen in our house. But what's worse is when you go to the supermarket to buy the butter and the tissues and the toothpaste, which are empty back at your house, and your bank account uh, seems to be empty. Your card has declined at the supermarket uh, because there is just nothing left in the account. Maybe your emptiness goes much deeper than a tank or a toothpaste or even a bank account. Maybe you've had a child or children recently leave home and now you have an empty nest. Perhaps you are suffering the loss of a loved one and there is an empty chair at the table. You know, empty is not really, it's not a good state for us. And it's not just limited to material things. Many people in our culture feel empty on the inside. They feel the ache of anxiety or of loneliness or of disappointment. There's nothing left for them physically, mentally, emotionally, maybe even spiritually. The changes and challenges that we've experienced in the, in the last couple of years have, have sadly left many people feeling very empty. And you know, the emptiness that we feel is actually not just limited to us normal people. Even famous people, even celebrities feel empty from time to time. Actress, director and philanthropist Angelina Jolie said this in a recent interview. She said, growing up I believed if you have fame and money and you're decent looking, you have everything in the world. Then you attain those things and realize you still couldn't be more empty. And I think if we're honest, we try to avoid the feeling of emptiness. We fill our lives with stuff, with activity, with hustle and bustle, because we believe that empty is bad. But on one occasion, empty was good. 2,000 years ago, a man called Jesus Christ walked the dusty roads of ancient Israel. And according to the historical record, he was a traveling teacher. He shared stories, he taught truth, he performed miracles, and he pointed people to God. But the religious authorities were offended by his teachings, and they thought he was stirring up trouble amongst the people. So Jesus was falsely accused, he was arrested, he was beaten, and he was executed on a cross. And after his death, his lifeless body was buried in a tomb. A great stone was rolled across the entrance so that there was no disturbance could be committed by his followers. And for added protection, an extra layer, the Roman soldiers uh, set up a guard around that tomb. But then three days later, it was discovered that that tomb was empty and in just a matter of hours following, Jesus' disciples, who were, had been devastated and distraught by his death, were joyfully proclaiming that Jesus had come back to life. And in the subsequent days, uh, they claimed that they had witnessed the resurrected Jesus literally in the flesh, walking and talking among them. This was not just one or two kind of emotionally charged or mentally unhinged people. For 40 days, Jesus appeared to his followers on multiple times and at multiple places. 
So according to the record, uh, the resurrected Jesus appeared to individuals like Mary Magdalene or Thomas. He appeared at gatherings where his closest companions were and even appeared to larger groups, up to 500 people at once. Now you could be forgiven for perhaps being a little sceptical. Like on the face of it, Jesus coming back to life can seem a little far-fetched. I mean, resurrection is really against the laws of physics. People don't, people don't do that. Once you're in the tomb, it's, it's pretty permanent. I heard a story recently about this man, an Irish man called Shay Bradley. He had a reputation as a bit of a practical joker. And he was suffering from a terminal illness. So as he was planning his funeral, he came up with a novel idea to try and cheer up his family and friends. So after Shay sadly passed away and the mourners had gathered around his grave, Shay had arranged for a pre-recorded vocal track to be played through a speaker. And the speaker was hidden behind a headstone. And so his family and friends are looking down at the casket and and they're throwing in flowers. And then suddenly Shay's voice shouts out, Hello? Help! I'm stuck in the box! And there's these gasps of shock and surprise from all the people there because there's only a couple of people in on the joke and they start looking around and they're very confused and then the recording keeps playing. Hey, it's dark in here. Get me out. And then there's the sound of knocking on wood. By now everybody realises that it's a practical joke. And so there's giggling and there's laughing about the stunt that has really kind of sucked them in. And they laugh because they know it was a joke. They know that people don't come back to life. But 2,000 years ago, that empty tomb was no stunt. It was no practical joke. It was the real deal. And so I just want to share with you three arguments that, that critics make to explain why the tomb of Jesus was empty. And the first one Uh, that critics say, is that it was obviously the wrong tomb. That Jesus' followers got mixed up in all the emotion and the exhaustion, and they accidentally went to the wrong tomb, to a tomb which looked similar to Jesus' tomb. Let me read to you the record of that time. As evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. Both Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting across from the tomb and watching. Now saying that the the followers, Jesus' followers went to the wrong tomb is a pretty weak argument because clearly Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, whom we know as the mother of James, They were there for Jesus' burial. They saw the tomb. But even if they got it wrong, even if they got caught up in the emotion and the exhaustion, then Joseph of Arimathea, the man who owned the tomb, he could have pointed out the right tomb. Or even the Roman authorities and the Jewish leaders, all they had to do was go to the right tomb and pull out Jesus' body and say, look, you guys got it wrong. So it clearly wasn't the wrong tomb. The second argument, alternative argument, is, is known as the swoon theory. And basically, this has been largely discredited by experts, but it's still popular amongst skeptics. And the argument is that, that the tomb was empty because 
Jesus never really died. That all the beatings that he endured and the blood loss on the cross, as a result of that, he fainted and then lapsed into a coma. And in the coolness of the tomb, he was revived and was able to escape. That's the theory. But if the swoon theory is true, if Jesus just fainted on the cross and then was revived, then think about what that actually practically means. It means that Jesus would have had to have, had to have survived a flogging from top to toe, which was so severe that the flesh on his back and his legs were ripped open and his muscles were exposed. He would have had to have survived nails going through his wrists and through his ankles and a spear into his side. He would have survived, had to have survived massive amounts of blood loss from those injuries. And then in the tomb, he would have had to have survived three days without food or water and no medical assistance. Then he would wake up. He would have to move the stone covering the entrance. He would have had to overpower the guard of Roman soldiers, presumably with no weapons, unless he grabbed theirs. He would have to have then walked seven miles to Emmaus on feet which were pierced by nails, convince his followers that he was fine, and then uh, and show them you know, the wounds that extensively covering his broken body. Now, it would have been physically impossible for Jesus to survive all that. But even if he did, he would have been pitiful and pathetic. There's no way that his followers would have been keen to proclaim him as triumphant and victorious. So the third argument, uh, really kind of the default argument that, that critics make, is that Jesus' body was stolen by his followers. And this was the concern of the religious authorities at the time. It was them who arranged for the Roman soldiers to guard the tomb. And so when the tomb was discovered to be empty, the stolen body was the narrative that the religious leaders presented. This is what we read. A meeting with the Jewish elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say, Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping, and they stole his body. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. <clears throat> Their story spread widely among the Jews. You know, the reality is that Jesus' followers had no motivation to steal his body. In fact, after, death, it's after his death, it's recorded that they were holed up in a room, freaking out and fearful for their own lives. It's unlikely that they could hatch a plan to steal his body and pretend that Jesus was alive. But even if they did try that, the logistics would be virtually impossible. They would have to go along and overpower an elite set of Roman soldiers. Then they would have to move a massive stone. Then they would have to carry a decaying body to a secret location. <clears throat> they would have to make sure that no one ever found the body. They would have to make a pact that no one would ever tell where the body was. And then they would spend the rest of their lives proclaiming that Jesus was alive. That is a lot of effort to perpetuate a lie. And the fascinating thing is that for the rest of their lives, Jesus' followers were convinced that he was risen from the dead, and they told everybody they could that he was alive. But the question is, what, what did they stand to gain from perpetuating a lie? The reality is that Jesus' followers were mocked and ridiculed. Many were beaten and imprisoned, and many were killed for their faith. 
And if they'd stolen the body, wouldn't it have just been so much easier to go, you got me. It was a lie. People are unwilling to die for a lie. But people will die for something that is true. And those first followers of Jesus staked everything on the empty tomb and the resurrected Jesus. One of the early Christians was writing to the next generation of followers, and he lists all the people that the resurrected Jesus had appeared to. And then he writes this, If Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. And we apostles would be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. You know, for me the real kicker is that all those historical documents agree that the tomb was empty. None of the arguments of sceptics stack up. In fact, the only reasonable, the only rational explanation for the empty tomb is that Jesus came back to life just like he said would happen. And you know, if that eyewitness uh, evidence from history is is not enough for you, then you might be uh, keen to consider a more recent opinion. Uh, A man called Sir Lionel Luck, who, uh, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, is the world's most successful lawyer. So he, as an attorney, as a defence attorney, has achieved, uh, he achieved 245 consecutive murder acquittals during his career. And at the peak of his career, he was challenged to use his tenacious legal skills and his towering intellect to investigate evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. So Laku uh, accepted the challenge, and he spent several years researching the historical records. And at the end of his investigation, this is what he concluded. He said, I say unequivocally that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so powerful that it compels acceptance by proof which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. Laku and those first Christians had certainty in their faith. They believed in the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus. And so 2,000 years ago, that, that empty tomb, it's really the one time when something was empty that was also good. Because that empty tomb proves that Jesus has power over death, proves that Jesus has power to give hope, to restore broken lives. In fact, the Bible asserts that that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to empower Christians in their daily lives. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote. I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. You know, history is littered with stories of men and women who experience the power of God in their lives. Marriages have been restored. Addictions have been overcome. Finances have been sorted. Conflicts have been resolved. Rivalries have been removed. People have been recharged and refreshed and restored by the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus can fill your life with goodness and grace. He can give you the satisfaction and the substance that you desperately crave. You know, that empty tomb proves that Jesus has the power to bring new life to those who believe. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. 
So friends, this morning if you are feeling empty, if you've only got a teaspoon left in the tank, if you're feeling drained or dejected or depressed or uh, depleted, this morning I invite you to be filled by Jesus. Trust him that he has conquered the grave, that he has defeated death and that he has the resurrection power for those who believe. And if you want to talk to anybody about that, feel free to, to talk to myself. I'd love to chat with you afterwards. Well, this Easter, as you consider that empty tomb, may you know the fullness of God in your life. May you gain strength from his resurrected power and may you celebrate all that Jesus has done for you. Let's pray together. God, we remember that first Easter weekend 2,000 years ago, that empty tomb and the resurrected Jesus. And we're grateful for all that means, that our sins are forgiven, that death no longer has a sting, that, that hope uh, is, is offered for us now and for the future, and that you bring restoration and renewal to our lives. And if anybody's here this morning and they are listening and they are feeling empty, I just ask that you would pour your resurrected power into their lives. Fill 